0: This is the Rapaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. This podcast is brought to you by De Beers Group Ignite, pioneering a new diamond world through groundbreaking innovation, science, and technology. Inspired by the world's unrelenting change, Beers Ignite is driven to develop creative solutions for the diamond industry, not only for existing challenges, but also for those it may never have faced before, helping you to achieve growth with efficient and accurate technologies throughout the diamond pipeline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wrap for Diamond podcast. Um, My name is Avi Kravitz. The senior Analyst at Rappaport, and we have our team back together today in the studio. And joining me on the podcast is Sonia Sultani, is our Editor-in-Chief, as we all know. Welcome, Sonia. It's great to see you again in a busy week back in the office.
1: Hi, Avi. Nice to be here.
0: Also with us today in, is uh, Joshua Friedman, our News Editor. Joshua, it's great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a while. Likewise. Yes, great to be back. It's been a topsy turvy few months, as everyone knows, in the in the diamond industry. Maybe our challenge during this episode is to not talk about Russia, but it's almost impossible to avoid the impact that the the war in um, in the Ukraine is and the sanctions on on El Rosa are having on the industry. But it seems Joshua that the the trade is almost um, is starting to come to terms and, and trying to figure out what's uh, you know the impact of the sanctions and getting used to this new market dynamic? Yeah, I think the first month after
2: the start of the war was just a lot of uncertainty. And there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, but I think it's becoming clearer now that Russian diamonds are not so easily marketable in the US. But one thing we have seen is that the while in the first wave of sanctions, it seemed that there was no real impact on buying Russian rough. now there is an impact it, you know, there's signs from India that paying for Russian goods isn't isn't so simple I think there's some there's some concerns there now there's still that element of uncertainty
0: yeah and and I think now that uh, as, as the US and, and other countries as well the UK has also increased its um, its sanctions on uh, on uh, buying Russian uh, diamonds it hiked its, it's uh, it's import duty to thirty five percent on on Russian goods. The first sort of Alrosa sale still needs to take place after these sanctions um, come into effect. So I think that's where maybe the uncertainty lies. But what we are seeing is an increased awareness of the sort of source verification programs that are that are going out. And you uh, know, it, it's been a sort of a slow burn for for the industry to accept these programs where you can trace your diamonds and track the diamonds journey along its along the pipeline and I wonder I wonder Sonia is retail starting to use these programs and adopt these programs because of this Russian issue or do you think that they will because of the of, of the Russian uh, story
1: it seems like they will but very slowly I think for some retailers it's a bit more difficult to you know to embrace everything at once um, we spoke to a lot of uh, independent retailers for the for the May magazine that we putting to bed actually this week, and um, and they all say you know they try to have trusted suppliers. So they ask questions to suppliers. Some of them ask more questions than others, and they they kind of try to rely on the on the on the trust and the and the relationships they have built over the years. I interviewed a retailer in America the other day, and he said that you know. He asked one of his suppliers, "Are you selling di- uh, Russian diamonds? Do you still have Russian diamonds?" And when the, the supplier couldn't answer that question for him, that was, okay, so not going to work with you anymore. Not everybody takes this decision yet. I think that's going to be a very slow sort of process.
0: Yeah, that's. A, a, I had a similar conversation with another fairly big um, retailer in the United States, where they said that people don't really know how to frame the frame the answers. And they sort of three, they alluded to three categories of diamonds, you know, those that are, that they know are Russian goods, those that they know are not Russian goods. And the unknown and the unknown is, is a, a fairly big chunk of, of the market. So I think the, the these sort of disc- disclosures become a much more become, are becoming much more important as uh, the issue evolves. But uh, as you say, like the, the, there's, there's just a lot of confusion. I think also the timeline plays a role as well because. You know, pre, can you use those Russian goods that were supplied pre, pre February when, you know, when the war, when the war broke out and those, those El Rosa goods were, were still, um, you know, considered legitimate. So you know, these, there, there's still this confusion and these questions that are, that are being asked, um, amongst re, and, but I think what's important, Joshua, and maybe you can, um, weigh in on this is that the retailers are asking the question and it seems to be coming from the retail that, um, that is pushing the dealer market and the, their suppliers to make these disclosures. Right. I mean, now they
2: have legal obligations. Uh, so that's sort of one one reason why they're more concerned about it than they were in the past. But it reminds me a bit of what happened with uh, online e-commerce during COVID, that this was a direction that the market was going in and it was going to happen anyway. It just uh, it took a sort of a big event to push it down the line a bit. And I wonder if that's what's happening with with traceability and, and Russia.
0: We have spoken internally about this, that uh, you know, that COVID was kind of the moment where digital became the, you know, a widespread and, and and very integrated in the in the trades business practice. And it seems that this Russia um issue and the sanctions against St. El Rosa could be that sort of final push because there have been these programs that have been in the works for so long, and um, but the adoption of the trace of traceability of uh, the source verification programs and and ESG um, programs in general, you know, looking at environmental issues as well, social governance issues, and and building that into one's. Retail messaging and the industry messaging. Maybe this will be the sort of unintended positive consequence for the industry that it will adopt these programs. And uh, and Joshua, I mean the the GIA, um, for example, it seems that different companies are ratcheting up their programs. And and the GIA, we know, just uh, recently announced that they're working on. It sounds like that they're in working to improve their origin report program. Is that how you read it?
2: Yeah, it was a little. Uh, it raised a few questions, uh, but they did. They did say that they were developing a a verification service, a source verification service for diamonds uh, that would use third third party verification of documents, so things like Kimberley Process documents, uh, Kimberley Process certificates. As we know, they've had this origin report for a few years. It was a little unclear how this differed f- from that. Uh, we've discussed this <laughs> internally, um, but uh, it, it does seem that they are trying to communicate to everyone that they're taking this seriously, and that they want to make it easier for retailers and consumers to get not just not just the diamond grade, but also what is now potentially at least as if not more important information, which is which is the the provenance.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's kind of cool that uh, that pro- provenance is going to play. A greater role in the in the industry's marketing we see that at the you know at the auctions and these these um, big pieces and special stones that um that have that storied background, but maybe that providence providence now will play a, a wider role on, the, on a commercial level, which I think is kind of cool
2: in some ways it's easier it's, it's easier than saying whether a diamond is from Russia or not is easier than saying whether it's a BBS or a or, or an i f it's uh once you determine where it's from is it you know it's either from russia or it's not
0: but the selling point isn't that it's not from russia or well, i hope the selling point is that it's not from russia i hope that it's a positive message that it's for example a, a botswana diamond that contributed such and such to the community there and uh, and i think sonia we are seeing that sort of storytelling develop uh you know over the years it's it's been again a slow burn but you know certain retailers certain I, w- I would imagine designers I think as well are looking at the the story behind the um, the source of the uh, of the diamonds that they use
1: absolutely I think the, the, the beauty of the creations if uh, they can say it benefited the local communities a lot of the designers like to actually travel to these places as well the Beers has been very active in uh, in bringing designers together and creating collections specifically. Around the theme of you know, uh, sustainability and the responsibly sourced diamonds, so that is a great thing. But I think there's still a lot of you know misconceptions, maybe a little bit of uh, doubts that everything can be sourced and, and you know to be so clearly disclosed. Yeah, I spoke to someone else who told me you know I told him maybe Canadian diamonds have been a solution for a long time. He said, oh, it's not so easy. You know, like uh, lots get mixed, little diamonds get you know, depending on where they cut, depending on how, you know, we know it's quite an opaque um, trade still, I think, um, but any initiative that tries to make it less uh, opaque, more transparent for the end consumer, I think is, is absolutely fantastic, but not just for the end consumer, for everyone around, uh, along the pipeline.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And... and- I think we we can't um, discount the fact that it's a that it's not an easy thing to do on mass, and um, that the the nature of the diamond industry is um, is is such a dynamic structure that um, that it is a challenge, and particularly on the on the smaller stones.
2: Also, the other way around, it might give an impetus to, it might give an impetus to the diamond industry to streamline the the supply chain more if origin becomes more important. Clearly, a diamond that's been that only be handled by by, you know, two or three players in the industry. It's easier to trace than something that's been through eight.
0: Right. But, um, that'll be a long process, I think, because of really changing business practices and, and mindsets. And, and, but I think it's been happening, um, for, for the last few years anyway. You know, we're seeing more direct contact, for example, between manufacturers and retailers, um, you know, cutting out the middleman type of thing. And, and so the, there is a, a, a drive towards a, a more efficient market and, there probably will be some people that fall out of the market as a result of that or or some positions within the market, but it's really a matter of moving with the times I think and uh and that's uh that's where the market uh seems to be where the market's heading. I was just thinking because you know we, we've spoken about the the uncertainty that uh that the this crisis has brought and and um but really there there still seems to be a, a fairly positive and optimistic outlook. Particularly at the retail level, both in the United States and, uh, or particularly in the United States, and also in the higher end luxury luxury brands. So it doesn't seem to me that that um, uncertainty that we've spoken about is affecting consumer confidence in any way. Um, do you guys agree with me? Is that is that a fair assessment of what's uh, what, what what we're seeing out there? I think in the US it's
2: it's mixed, but overall positive. Uh the, the general sort of outlook on consumer confidence and sentiment is not so strong because of the impact of inflation at high interest rates. And we've been some data out from the major providers of the sort of consumer confidence information that have indicated that the, the consumer confidence is actually a, a almost unprecedented lows. But jewelry... Is still selling very strongly. Uh, the National Retail Federation said that they expected, based on the survey, a record jewelry sales this Mother's Day, which is in in May. And the reports we're getting is that a lot of the a lot of the trends that we've seen for the last year that that's, you know shortages of goods, hard to hard to replace diamonds, all these things seem to be continuing. So as I say, it's it's a bit mixed.
0: Yeah. And, and I think sometimes, you know, our focus and, uh, you know, working within the trade and within that sort of B2B space that, um, there are different segments of the market that have different sort of, that are expressing different sentiments. We had an interaction with, with a dealer who supplies mainly to retailers direct. And he made the point that the outlook on the market for him and the, and the, the, the business that he's doing is quite positive because he's, Dealing direct with mainly the majors, I think, um, in the United States. But then if you speak to someone who's really sort of dealer to dealer, there is maybe more of a, more of a, um, they're feeling a bit of a slowdown, which we're seeing in our wholesale price trends that has has um sort of changed course since uh in the last two months. And so that um that sort of uh within the dealer market is uh is different to what's happening at retail which is quite which is but which is quite natural I think. But I think at the end of the day what's happening at retail is is what counts. And um and I think you know Sonia, I don't know how are you seeing those those bigger luxury houses? We know that, you know, carrying for example, had a had a good first quarter that they that they recently reported, and it seems that the Tiffany's and the Cartiers of the world are pretty upbeat at the moment.
1: It must be quite upbeat because I think the um, the CEO of Cartier announced last week that they would certainly raise prices by two to three percent on the goods. So it means that you know if you first we all know that materials are more expensive, so it's not just Cartier raising prices. Also, independent designers have the their clients, you know, after a certain date, will raise prices because the price of gold is gonna sourcing gemstones is also more difficult sometimes. So, but if you know when the brand, account you says that, it means they they know that there will still be a, a demand for for these high end goods, um, this exclusive the, the exclusive products they, they create. So, so I think there's definitely a lot of uh, of positive uh, feeling at this end. We see the results, uh, Tiffany they they're launching new collections. They're going more high end. So it seems like it's going to be uh, for, for the luxury houses, they're, they're in a good position. the The Russian crisis hasn't affected most of them because they they would also uh, you know Russia wasn't such a big market for them. The the Russian market at the high end. We always think of oligarchs, but it seems like it's not just. Uh, that's not what they rely on really for uh, for for their big for the big sales. We'll see. I think, but um, high end. Independent retailers are also saying they have a very good first half of the year. They're very upbeat. They're, a lot of them say they're going to couture to JCK, uh, to the luxury side of JCK, and they're positive about it. So I think that'll be interesting. And I know, Avi, you're going to JCK. You'll be able to to tell us a bit more.
0: Yeah. So so I think um I, I think the Vegas shows in general um you know JCK um, luxury couture. And the various other shows, it's going to will be a strong indicator for the market, and um, you know more, much more so than last year. Last year was, um and we were discussing this in our in our last podcast with uh, with Rob um, Bates. That last year was really a. Uh, Sort of, it, it was a, a different type of show where people were. It was there was less traffic and and people were sort of just coming together. Although there was good business that was done for the people who were there, I think this year will be a much better indicator of what's happening in the wider market, um, particularly in the United States, on on both um, on all levels, on on both the wholesale and the and the retail, and then that that higher end sort of um, for those higher end. Independent jewelers in the United States will be will be a telling show, I think. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. But another indicator of sentiment, particularly in the high end, seems to be the auctions. And there, there are I don't know, um, Sonia. It, it seems to me with you know with a different you know there's a Hong Kong auction. I think this today as we as we speak, a very special piece that's coming to auction, and um, we'll we'll know the results once the podcast is published. There seems to be a better uh, a more of a buzz around the, the auctions this year than than we've seen certainly in the last two years.
1: Yeah I think the big stones are back. <laughs> Which, you know, we were a bit lamenting in the, in the past year and a half. Um, you know you just had one exceptional sale, but we keep receiving releases from the, the two big auction houses about these stones. So, so the bees at service is selling today the, the, the beers blue. Which is uh, the and Blue? Um, we don't know for, for how much. We don't know who will buy it at the end because that's the that's the issue of the recording with a, a week delay with the news. It's a superb stone. It's really superb, and they've created a whole very nice story around it. And Dubuis Jewelry has created even um, an extra setting for whoever buys the stone to, uh, if they want to to wear it, like you know, in a kind of uh, uh, really, really exquisite where um, there is the the Geneva cells that will take place, I think, the week, this, uh, the week after the podcast is released. Christie's has gone all, you know, up in arms with two massive stones, the rock, which is 228 carats and the red cross diamond, which is a yellow diamond, which is 205 carats. So there's a lot of excitement around these sales. We'll see. We'll see. And but it looks like even the online market, from, uh, the last online sales increases uh, 45 carats. did extremely well. And smaller auction houses are also doing very well in their sales. So feels the this. Segment of the market is, is strong
0: as well. I'm pretty excited about the the De Beers Blue Diamond. I think it's really a stunning piece.
1: That's a South African story you like, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that uh, it's it's a bit of an unusual story from a I think from a De Beers point of view as well because um, it's sort of I don't know if this was the first stone that they bought in the market. You know, we know De Beers as a as a rough. Um, producer and they have their different branding programs, but here they bought the rough from Petro Diamonds um, from the Cullinan mine, which, which is a famous, um, ex De Beers mine, but they partnered with, uh, with Deacore, a manufacturer, a, a site holder of theirs, um, to buy the rough diamond. The rough was a, was a 39.35 carat rough and it's, um, it was mined at Cullinan in uh, April last year. The Beers and Deacore bought the stone for $40.2 million, um, chunk change, I guess. And, um, and the pre-sale estimate, um, is at 40, 48 million dollars so this whole sort of um these partnerships uh seem to you know we, we've we've spoken before about the partnerships um between producer and the manufacturer and and this profit sharing sort of arrangements and and this is a this is a, a higher profile one i think um particularly given the magnitude of the stone and then of course because it's um it's a de Beers um piece and um you know it's got, it's being sold at auction which is which is not um, you know it's, a, it's it really does r- raise the profile. Um do you have any guesses and, and we'll know when we listen to this podcast so when it's published, um, Joshua, what the stone will go for. Do you want to venture a, an estimate? Well I guess what I'll say is
2: 46 million or 47 million or 48 million or 49 million or 50 million. And then you can just add it out of the number that's not right.
0: <laughs> right. It sounds like a Johnny Cash song <laughs> where he builds the car and he's not sure if it's, a, you know, he keeps adding parts. So it's a, so it's a 49, 50, 51, 52 Bu- Buick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so you skirted the question, but I, I think it will go for well over its pre-sale estimate, and uh, and I think it will uh, raise, uh, you know, it will raise eyebrows. I'm, I'm I'm quite excited to see to see that. Um, anything else on your on your radar in terms of uh, you know the auctions or big events that are coming up, um, Sonia?
1: An event that will actually happen the week this uh, podcast is released is Jam Genève in Geneva. And you feel like we've just spoken about Gem Genève like yesterday. (laughs) The last show happened in November and you think it's unusual to have shows so close to each other, but they actually show a real demand from the market. Um, So Gem Genève is um, more of a boutique show um, with still over a hundred exhibitors. It has different sections. So essay jewelry, high end jewelry, gems, colored gemstones, diamonds and um, young and upcoming designers. So, And also they, they have a special display for schools, students in uh, in um, local schools. And uh, they had a show in November because the exhibitors really wanted to have that show and it was a success. And they went back to their usual date, which was May. And, um, and also I see a lot of participation. I see a lot of excitement. A lot of uh, American buyers will be able to go this time also. So um, I think that be nice to, to revisit in a few weeks to to know if it was the success that people expect it to be.
0: It's an opportunity for the for Jem for Genev because um there isn't uh because Baselworld's not happening and so there isn't a there's that sort of a gap in the market for a, a strong European show. You know, we have Vicenza um that happens at various points throughout the year, but that sort of Baselworld did play a role in setting a tone for the European market, and and I think Jim Genev can can take on that mantle.
1: And I think the, the, the premise of the show is always excellent, on the timing because it just happens a week before the magnificent jewel sells in uh, at Sotheby's and Christie's. So the you know there's a bit there's definitely crossover there between the the people who attend the show and people who buy at the auctions.
0: Right, um, Joshua. Is there anything on your radar for the for the coming few weeks? I know you tend to be very uh, market related. I mean, can you know market focused, let's say? <laughs> but what's uh, what? What are you looking out for? And it can be market foc- uh, market related. <laughs> we, we have
2: we haven't mentioned yet the lockdowns in China. Um, there, there are some real concerns about that because China, since early May around the second quarter of twenty twenty really recovered very strongly after the initial lockdowns and, you know, supported the market until the point where the U S market started to recover. Um, and now that's kind of faltering a bit, big lockdown in Shanghai, the recent figures in China, as of consumer retail figures have been a bit concerning the, um, the government data from China, which I'm sure if we always rely on that hundred percent, but, uh, It showed an 18% year-on-year decline in in retail sales of gold, silver, and jewelry in March, whereas for the the first quarter as a whole, there was growth. So it seems like there was a bit of a quite significant dip at the end of the first quarter. And we've seen that people like De Beers have mentioned this in their market commentary that uh, this is creating some uncertainty. I guess we'll be watching what happens next but. uh,
0: as we mentioned before with the, you know, the difference in sentiment between the, the dealer market and, and the U.S. retail market, for examples. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think the dealer market is also feeling that, um, that slowdown from China and that may be feeding into the uncertainty on the, on, on that side of the market, particularly on, on certain categories of stones. Um, you know, maybe those sort of 30 pointers, 30 to 50 pointers, which are, are kind of, um, more influenced by the Chinese market, we are seeing that um, that the, the slowdown in those categories, and, and and that may be the reason why. And uh, and I think when we speak to to wholesalers, dealers, that, that they do factor that in. Also, one of the one of the things that's come
2: up is that the Russian goods, uh, even if they're not marked less marketable than in in the US, uh, the Chinese market is, isn't so bothered about them. Um, so if the Chinese that, that that would be disappointing for the market if that one it would be disappointing for the global market if that one market that one large market that would still be open to buying russian diamonds is going through a bit of a, a slowdown
0: that is a um, an interesting um point in development that uh, that um if you're a supplier of russian goods that big chunk of the us market is being cut off for you and um, so you would focus on china but then China is, is experiencing a lockdown and uh, and the, a slowdown in its uh, in its demand as well. So you're kind of being hit by two by two sides. Um, that's interesting stuff.
2: As I think we we must have mentioned on previous podcasts that China retail market is always kind of up and down. It's never been consistently there like the U.S. market. It's been years where it's been very strong and years where it's been very weak. I think the industry is used to that by now.
0: Yeah.
1: And Avi, what's on your radar for the coming weeks?
0: Well, it's a, certainly, uh, well, we'll, we'll have other podcasts before, before the, the JCK show. Um, but, uh, that's, that's definitely on my radar, and um, personally and, um, and looking out to, um, you know, how to approach the show, um, from an editorial point of view and, and who to meet, um, to get a real, you know, it's a, as we, as we said, it's a, it's a real opportunity to, Catch up with what's going on in the United States. I think I agree with both of you. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely looking, looking out for and excited for the, for the auctions. And also, you know, in terms of that market dynamic, you know, this, the, the different splits in the market is, is really quite interesting for me. Um, one thing that I'm a little concerned about is that we are not getting as much data as we used to. And, um, uh, firstly, because, because of, you know, El Rosa's not publishing now and El Rosa would give great, um, information about their operations and also about the market and, and just their, their operations would, um, you know, would give us some insight as to what's happening in the market. And then there's also, we, we just seem to, we seem to be getting less data from different centers, you know, we, we've spoken about and, and we've always, Called out to Dubai, for example, to to publish their trade data, and and we don't get that on a regular basis. Um, even to get it annually is a challenge, and now um also Antwerp is uh, is is publishing less less frequently, and so um that makes that makes our job a little a little more challenging. And so I, I I guess I'll take this opportunity to call out um to all those publishers of data to please get back on the program and um the, the numbers. Give us such um, such important insights to what's going on in the market that um, that it's, it's valuable for for all players, and, and I, I really hope. So, so maybe it's not a not a outlook for for what's happening in the in the coming weeks. It's more of a hope that so uh, we will get some some better market information to 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 assess what's going on. I, I, I kind of skirted the question there, a bit, Sonia, so I apologize. But uh, there's <laughs> it's like. When the, the thing you're looking out for in the coming weeks is data, you know, you need to, um, maybe get a bit more color in your life.
1: <laughs> right. That's, that's fine, Abby. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: So, um, so I'll work on that. I'll work on that. I'll, I'll work on getting a bit more diversity and, and interesting, um, things going on in my, in my little world over here. But, um, Sonia and Joshua, it's been great chatting to you again as always. I've been away the last last few weeks. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. I'll be back um, hopefully next week. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing, seeing everyone and catching up. Thanks for joining us, Sonia. It's a pleasure as always.
1: Thank you so much, Avi, and safe journey back.
0: Thank you. And uh, Joshua, thanks uh, for your insights as, uh, as always. Um, it's appreciated. Thank you, Avi. Thank you, Sonia. All right. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you again next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Ignite, a full service innovation science and technology division within the De Beers Group, spearheading step change throughout the diamond industry.